Thanks. Was that a couple of whoops? Someone was whooping, man. Um, was that you, John? That's your job, to be fair, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's really great to be with you. My name's Andy. Um, I was born and grew up in Cyprus, in the Eastern Mediterranean. Anyone familiar with Cyprus? Lovely part of the world. It's um, uh, in Cyprus, the most important word that you hear a lot is tomorrow, which is it's a genius place, right? Can you do this for me? I'll do it tomorrow. When tomorrow comes, can you do this for me? So uh, I was born and grew up in Cyprus. That's my world. My wife, Jess, is from South Africa. Anyone familiar with South Africa? Ooh, there's a woo. Um, and then my kids, I've got four kids, they grew up in Turkey, and they're confused. Uh, anyone confused? That's part of the world we live in, to be honest. Where am I from? My kids are like, are we from Cyprus? Are we from South Africa? Are we from Turkey? Now we live in Reading, I mean. Um, so, <laughs> there you go. And um, I've been asked this morning to speak to you about uh, the beauty of the global church. So I'm going to introduce you to her today and try and paint a bit of a picture of her uh, from the scripture and also from experience. And I I hope that you fall in love with her, uh, that you see her. Jesus, um, uh, many times in scripture, is described as like he came to the world from heaven to search for a bride. He's like a young man who's going out into the world to find who he's going to marry. And the question is, what bride is worthy of someone like Jesus? You know, how, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He, we know that because in the Bible, he's got a tattoo on his leg that says king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, when we church planted in Turkey, the first guy that came to faith with us uh, was a tattoo artist, a Turkish guy. And um, he read that scripture and he was so happy. He was like, wow, if Jesus has a tattoo... Who gave him that? Does that mean God is a tattoo artist? It was this kind of beautiful revelation moment. But Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. What bride is worthy of him? And the answer is, well, a truly global bride, a truly international bride, built from all families, from all heritages, from all stories, from all languages, from all corners of the world. And his, his truly international bride that he's come to find. And um, that is the church that we're a part of all around the world. And if you have met Jesus, if you're here today, and the majority of you will be here today because Jesus has come to you. He's won you. He's chosen you. In the big crowd, he's gone, I want you. I love you. He's won your heart. He's wooed you. He's brought you to himself. Um, But in doing that, he's done that with millions of people over the last couple thousand years and all around the world, right? And so he brings you to himself, but as part of this big international family. It's amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So I'm going to read a few verses from the Gospel of John. We're going to talk about them. I'm going to try and show you a little bit about what the church looks like around the world today. And then I'm going to give you a few challenges as um, a local church here in High Wycombe about how you can respond. Is that okay? So let's pray. And then we're going to look together at John chapter 4, just a few verses from there. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your presence here. Thank you for this wonderful community of people. 
Thank you that the king is enthralled by her beauty. Thank you that you are a God who is so in love with your church. Thank you for your your passion. And I pray even as we look at the scriptures today, let us be aware of that, of the strength of your feeling about these things, of how central these things are to your heart and to your purpose. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray, be our teacher. As this church does this series on nations over the next few weeks, uh, would you do something? Would you lift eyes? Would you open hearts? Would you instruct and captivate us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So John chapter 4 from verse 5, just going to read a few verses. And uh, John chapter 4 and 5. So he, that's Jesus, this is a story about Jesus. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sitchar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. So it's a very simple scene, but you've got a well, you've got Jesus standing or sitting by the well who's thirsty, and then you've got this Samaritan woman also coming to the well. So you've got a well, you've got a man, and you've got a woman, and that's the scene here. And one of the great themes throughout Scripture, all the way through the Bible, is this idea of Jesus as a bridegroom coming into the world to search for a people, to search for his bride. Uh, And even here in John's Gospel, Jesus has just been called the bridegroom by John the Baptist. And the great story of the Gospel is that Jesus, he comes, he leaves his great palace, he leaves heaven Uh, behind. He comes into our thirsty, broken world, and he comes to search out a bride for himself. And he, he wins her, he persuades her to leave her father's house, to leave behind her old traditions, her old loyalties, the things that she was captivated by. He lays down his life to show his love for her and to break her out of all the darkness and the pain and the mess that she was in. That's your story, right? That's my story. He shows his love. He shows his power. He rescues her. She's nowhere near worthy to marry him. (laughs) Look at me. Do you know what I mean? But his love and his mercy, he rescues, brings her to himself, washes her down. And then he makes her a promise. He says, I'm giving you my word. I'm giving you my ring. Here's my promise. I will come back one day and we will get married. And then he goes back to heaven, which is where he is now. And we're waiting. And the Bible is very clear that one day at the end of all things, Jesus will come back ready for the great wedding. And it talks about the end of the world as being like this great wedding where his his bride that's built from all different heritages and stories and languages and cultures and communities it is gathered to him and there's this incredible wedding at the end of time when he takes us to be with him in his father's house forever. Amen? And um, I think it's going to be great. I like weddings. Usually I like the food. Think about what the food's going to be like on that day, man. It's not just going to be like cheese sandwiches, right? It's going to be like proper 
The Indian church will show up with their pakora. The West African church will show up with their jalof. Oh, I'm going to be in that corner of heaven. Um, it's going to be... It's going to be rich. It's going to be wonderful. Every, every culture, every heritage, every nation, every story contributing. Off, off, off. And um, uh, Revelation chapter 7 famously gives us a picture of what it's going to be like on that day. And it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all of the tribes and all of the families and all of the languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And, and what's, what's fascinating about this, this kind of picture, is it's not saying he's going to have many brides, you know, an English bride and a Chinese bride and a Nicaraguan bride. Uh, it's not like um, King Solomon in the Bible who had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wives and he gets told off for it. And he had different wives from different countries, if you remember reading about King Solomon. And I think his house would have been an absolute nightmare. Like, they're all arguing and fighting, and who's the most important? You know, am I more beautiful than her? And whose cooking's the best? And whatever. You're like, the, the idea of lots of brides fighting each other, it's a horrible picture. But the picture here is that there's one bride, but that she is built from... She's comprised of all of the different communities of the world and all of the different languages and all of the different stories and all of the different traditions and all of the different families. But, so it's one bride, but she's kind of, I don't know, like one finger is from Papua New Guinea and the appendix is probably England. And, and you know, the, the kind of the, the right hand is... China and the left hand is India. And, you know, but you've, you've got this bride that's built together from all of the peoples of the world, from all the languages, still holding their diversity. And you know, we're not going to go in heaven and everyone's going to be the same. No, 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 no. Right? We're going to go to heaven. Everyone's different, all the different languages. It's a stunning picture. And so here in John, you've got this picture of a man and a woman, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, at a well. And um, if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll know that this is a really common picture throughout the Bible. Whenever a young man goes out to find his young princess, to go, goes out to find a wife, they always seem to meet at a well. Uh, and then one of them draws water, and they have a conversation, and then she goes and tells her family about this lovely young man that she just met, and then they have a meal. And that happens over and over and over again in the Bible. It's like a repeated theme. Uh, and so, for example, when Abraham sends his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac, and he meets Rebekah, and it happens like this, add a well, draw water, go and talk to the family, have a meal. When Jacob meets Rachel, it happens in the same way. Uh, and actually, the writer of John is kind of drawing our attention to this idea because he mentions that this is Jacob's well. So he's reminding us of this story. When Moses... Moses met his wife Zipporah when he was running away from Egypt. Do you remember? And he meets her at a well. And so you've got this picture of a man and a woman uh, at a well meeting. And it's, it, it happens all the way through the Bible. So when John paints this picture for us of Jesus going to Samaria and meeting this woman there, he's reminding us the bridegroom has come to search for his bride. And here he's meeting her. But it's, he's not giving us a kind of, his, it's not some sort of, 
Dan Brown novel, you know, Jesus falls in love with this woman from Samaria and they have children. It's not that at all because we're not given her name. She's just called the Samaritan woman. She's a, she's a representative of a community. She's a symbol. She's a type. And she's given here. And so what we're seeing is Jesus has come into the world to search for a bride that will be worthy of him, but he finds her in the least expected place. <gasps> she's a Samaritan. That's who your mum used to warn you never to talk to. Not the Samaritans. You know, they're the people that live on the other side of town or on the other side of the world. We don't, our kids don't play with their kids. You know, the, the Jews had a 700 years of bad blood with the Samaritans. 700 years of hating them, not caring about them, um, you know, warning their children to stay away from them, not marrying them. 700 years of, of angry history. Um, I'm from Cyprus, from the Greek side. And um, when we were growing up, the one thing that united all Greek Cypriots was that we hate Turks. In fact, when we were kids, um, we used to play this game, let's kill the Turks. It was our common game that we played as children. Today, you could be the Turks and we're all going to fight you. That was it, right? And so, because of history. But then when I came to faith and the Lord called me and my family to go and live in Turkey to search for his bride, um, all my friends from Cyprus were like, what are you doing? You're going over to the enemy. And, but so often, that's what Jesus does. He He's, he's, he's reaching his bride from people that we wouldn't ever expect, people that are different to us, people with different history, different story, even, even from the Samaritans. And it's part of the wisdom of God is that he's building a bride who therefore needs to be freed from the, 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 the pain that she's carried from history and the wounds that have needed healing, the forgiveness that needs to happen. The biases, both conscious and unconscious, the prejudice, the racism, these things, they're not just kind of a woke 21st century idea, hey, let's all be, you know, kind of politically correct. This is deep in the heart of our story, of the gospel, of what Jesus came into the world to do. He is building a bride from every nation and every background, and to do that, we need to be a bride that is able to connect with one another and love one another and love ourselves as his bride. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And so it's a huge part of the reason for this story here in John chapter 4 and what we're being shown about Jesus. And these things, they're not just gospel, they're not just family, they're not just about who we are. They're actually what we would call eschatological. They're about the end of time. Because Jesus will come back one day to marry his beautiful bride. I mean, just look around you, right? And just go to one another. You are beautiful. You don't seem so committed to this. I can see husbands and wives kind of looking at each other. <laughs> Sometimes we think that we are waiting for Jesus to be ready to come back. You know, Lord, when are you coming back? Don't you see the mess and the pain? Come, Lord Jesus, come on, rescue us. Why are you sitting in heaven waiting? Um, whereas actually, I think the Bible describes it the other way around a lot of the time. He's waiting for us to be ready. He's waiting for us to be ready. He's waiting for the bride to be ready. You know, Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all of the nations 
and then the end will come. So it's quite clear, we've got something to do, let's get on and do it. Uh, Revelation 19, it says this, Let's rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So in other words, it's saying it's time for the big wedding because the bride has made herself ready. And so there's a, there's a welcoming in our friends from other parts of the world. There's an accepting and an embracing and a meshing together and a becoming his bride. Now, there is, of course, a mystery in the return of Christ. And Jesus said himself, didn't he? Even I don't know when the time is, only my father. But we're not just sitting and waiting. He's given us things to do. He's given us responsibility to get on with. And that's partly why you're looking at this series over the next few weeks of world mission. Because Jesus was very clear. I want a bride from all the nations. If they're not all here yet, then it's not time yet. So let's go get them. <laughs> right? So that's a little bit of scripture. Now, just to, to look at this question of what is the state of the church today? And um, to do this, I, I, like we are living, perhaps for the first time in history, in a kind of truly global church. More global, more multilingual, Bible in more languages, Christians from more different places than, than there's ever been in history. And I just want to try and give you a feel for that. So to do this, I need, please, a man and a woman of African heritage to come out the front. So quickly, who are the fastest Africans in the building? <laughs> A man and a woman from Africa. There's a young lady, thank you. What about a gentleman? You come stand here, please. A man of African heritage. Come on, I don't want to have to volunteer you. That doesn't make sense. Yes, my brother. You're being chosen, I'm sorry. There you go. Right, if you stand here, please. If you stand here, please. Uh, I need a woman of Asian heritage. Any part, Asia's a big place, any part of Asia. A woman of Asian heritage, please. Thank you, wonderful. You come and stand here, please. That's great. Uh, I need one white person, male or female. One white person. There we go. Just there. And then I need one other. So if you're not African or Asian or white, maybe you're South American, maybe you're Middle Eastern, maybe you're from Australasia, one other person. Yeah, let's go. Wonderful. Thank you. And you, you come and stand here, please. Brilliant, thank you. So, the church in the world today, if, if you broke it up into fifths, so this is 20% each, yeah? Um, looks like this. 40% of Christians today are African. 40%. The church is majority African. In the continent of Africa, there are 1.2 billion people. Of that, 600 million are Christians. That's half. So that's one in two. If you meet two Africans, one is a Christian, and they're going to preach at you. <laughs> right? And so the church of Africa today, she's powerful, she's young, she's energetic, she's sending people to Europe all the time because we need help. Uh, you know, the biggest churches in the UK are all West African. The biggest churches in Europe are all West African. It's the Nigerians and the Ghanaians that are bringing the gospel. Hallelujah. Right? And so the Church of Africa, 40%. 
The church in Asia, another 20% of the church around the world today. And that would be across Asia. You know the church in India is older than the church in England, right? You know that. The, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, went and planted the first churches in India. You know there's more churches in India than there are in the USA. Did you know there's 100 million Chinese Christians? So China is one of the most, percentage-wise, one of the most Christian countries on the planet. Did you know that? Um, there's more Christians in China than there are in the USA. Okay? So the, the Church of Asia, lots of power, lots of wisdom. Lots of wisdom. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, the Church of the North Atlantic, so Europe and North America, 20%. So in other words, the Global North Church is 20%. The Global South Church is 80% of, of people today who would call themselves Christians. Did you know that? A hundred years ago, it was the other way around. hundred years ago, 80% of Christians were white. In a hundred years, it's changed this much. And then 20% uh, of Christians would be from other places. So South America, the church in South America, huge energy. Most missionary sending in the world is coming out of places like Brazil and Argentina. Like, you go anywhere in the world, you meet a Brazilian missionary, uh, usually using football to preach the gospel to people. Yes. Hallelujah. Right, so, um, so just take a look at these guys. This is what the church today looks like. Okay, how does that make you feel? What do you think about that? I think it's good. Think it's good? Yeah, yeah good-looking bunch of people, hey? Right, you guys could take a seat. Well done. Uh, Robert Schreiter, he said this, what is most striking about the extension of Christianity around the world today is its great diversity, as it's been incarnated in so many different cultures of the world. We are indeed, for the first time, part of a world church. It's really exciting. She's beautiful, the bride of Jesus Christ. She's getting more and more beautiful as time goes on. I want to show you one other thing, and this is not about the church. This is about the whole world. This is a kind of a view of the world and where Christians fit into it. So if you guys all are the world, just sing, we are the world. No, don't do that. Um, the world population is probably about 9 billion today, nearly. A, a third of the world would call themselves Christians. So that's you guys. If this section here would give me a wave, please. This 3 billion people. You could look happy. You're the Christians. <laughs> Yay. Um, uh, if, if people filled in a form and said, am I Christian or am I other... 30% of the world today, that's 3 billion people, would call themselves Christians. Now, that includes Catholics, Orthodox, everyone, as well as our kind of Christians. <laughs> so um, 30% of the world would call themselves Christians, okay? The next 30% of the world, that's this middle section. Give me a wave, please. You guys, you should look slightly less happy. Um, are not believers in Jesus, wouldn't call themselves Christians, but live within sound of the gospel, so in your language, there is a Bible available. It's been translated. In your town, there's probably a church. Uh, you might meet Christians in your workplace. So people that live in, in High Wycombe that aren't Christians would be in this section. Western Europe would be in this section. Does that make sense? So people that aren't believers in Jesus, but if they wanted to be, they, they could find someone. The final third percent, is what we would call people who live in unreached spaces. 
These are people who will probably never meet a Christian in their life, will probably never hear the gospel in their life. In your city or in your nation, there's probably no churches. The Bible probably hasn't been translated into your language. You you couldn't just go, can I Google the meaning of life? Because you probably don't have access to the internet. So these are, in, in many ways, the poorest of the poor, but they're also people who live in places who will probably never hear the gospel, and there's three billion of them in our planet. Now, the shocking thing, friends, is this. The vast majority of missionaries or people that go from churches like this to go plant new churches or share the gospel, and the vast majority of money that's given to mission goes from this section into this section. In fact, only 1% of cross-cultural missionaries go to the unreached, and only 1% of money that's given into mission is given into unreached spaces. So this is where the biggest need is, but the church is putting the least resource and investment there. Why? Because it's hard work. Because you might spend your whole life living in this. Part of what I do is I serve teams that are working in places like this. So places like North Africa, the Middle East, uh, some parts of Central Asia, those kind of places, right? Um, People might spend five years learning the language. That's five years where all you're doing is living in a place trying to learn the language. It's hard to get jobs or visas in some of these countries. It can be hard to live in some of these places because they're so poor or so you're so likely to get sick or you don't want to raise your kids there. You might spend your whole life serving people and preaching the gospel and no one responds because people are hard. There's a reason these places are unreached. Right, And that's why, so people don't want to do it because it's expensive, it's inefficient. It, you can spend your whole life pouring, like pouring water into sand. But Jesus has told us that we've got to get the gospel to everyone or we're not going to have our wedding. Yeah? And he's looking for a bride that includes the Syrian bride and the Somali bride and the Mongolian bride. Jesus is looking for his bride. That's where he is, by the well in Samaria. And so what we've looked at, guys, is we've looked at a little bit of Scripture. I've tried to give you a little bit of a picture of the global church today and also the state of the world today and where we are. And um, what I want to do now is just uh, five ways that this touches you as a local church or things you can think about, things that God might be speaking to you about as a church community here in High Wycombe. And um, they're going to spell bride, because I thought that way you might remember them. So B-R-I-D-E. Is that okay? That's what we're going to do. And as we look at these, just take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me about personally? What could be my response? Uh, What is my role to play in the building of a beautiful global bride? Amen? Number one, B, is um, build. Build your local church. See, some people get so caught up with, oh, the world's so big and there's so much need that we don't realize that we can make a difference by building our local church here. And when Jesus talks about the church, it's a bit of a mystery because he talks about the local church, I will build my church. And he also talks about the global church, and it's both. And so the first thing is, roll up your sleeves, become a member, join the church, serve on something, and help build this community here. Because that will make a difference to the bride globally. 
And, but remember that Jesus has gone to find the Samaritan woman, that Jesus is working in the unexpected places, in the unexpected people, usually on the margins of the church, usually the people that you don't see up the front or the things you don't really think about happening. Know that every new family that comes to your church is going to change the dynamic a little bit, change the flavor a little bit, because everyone comes with their flavor, with their gift, with their experience. And as a church, we keep building those in. And the, the, So we don't say in church, oh, this is how we've always done things, because the church is different now than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. So everyone that comes brings their gift, their story. Does that make sense? So build the church here and be excited about the fact that in High Wycombe, you've got quite a multicultural town. You've got some people from some of the least reached places in the world living here. You, you can intentionally go out and find yourself some, some people who have never heard the gospel before. You've got that kind of town, that kind of privilege. It's exciting. And so the first thing is try and make this church as beautiful a bride as you can, ready for the return of Christ. Amen? And that only happens when we're all playing our part. Because Jesus had brought you here. You're not here by chance. You're here because you've got a contribution. However old you are, however young you are, however long you've been a Christian. What's your bit? What, how should you serve? How can you contribute? Play your part. Bring your gift. Amen? Amen. Second, so that's B. R is relate. <laughs> Be friendly. <laughs> right? Relate. But relate to people that are different from you. So one of the things that can happen in churches in the UK, and I get around a lot of churches, is on a Sunday a church can look quite international or quite multicultural, but as soon as the meeting finishes, all the English people go and hang out together and eat their cheese sandwiches, and all the West Africans go and hang out together and eat jollof, and um, everyone just comes out of Sunday and goes back into their little monocultural bubbles, and that's, that's not church. Sunday isn't church, right? Church is a family, it's community, it's building together. And if you want to become a richer person, make friends with people that are very different from you. Because their perspectives will be different to yours, they will enrich you. You know, there's a, there's a reason why we're not supposed to marry our sisters or have children within the family, Right? <laughs> And that's because we have to keep our gene pool broad. As humans, we were designed to be stronger when we're more diverse. That's how we were designed. If you want to kill a church, just have people that are the same as each other. The church will die very quickly. Yeah? Because we're stronger the more diverse we are. Harvey Kwiani, who's a Malawian uh, pastor in his excellent book, Multicultural Kingdom. He says this, homogeneity, whatever form it takes, is slow death. A community that builds walls to keep strangers out only imprisons itself within its own walls in the end. A prison guard is also a prisoner, he says. And so there's something rich about, and don't only read books that were written by people that look like you. And don't only watch sermons on YouTube by people that look like you. Let's enrich, we're part of a global bride. We have the privilege in our generation of enriching our faith with loads of different perspectives, lots of different ways of seeing the world. It will make you a 
bigger person, a wiser person, and a richer church. Amen? But also at a church level, not just individually, but as a church, I'd encourage you to relate, build friendships with churches in other parts of the world. And I know you have some relationships like this, but that that are not just a project for you, that are not just charity for you, that are not one-sided friendships where you send money and you serve and they're just the recipient. That's not really friendship. That's charity. Friendship is you journey together and sometimes they serve you and sometimes you serve them and you build strong relationships. I've encouraged you. You're part of New Frontiers. It's a big global family. Feel God speak to you and go, let's build friendships with a church in Sao Paulo in Brazil. You know, let's, let's be friends. We'll send people there. They can send people here. We can instruct each other. We can help each other. Let's build friendships with a church in New Zealand. Do you see what I mean? It enriches you, just having friends around the world. And so I'd encourage you to do that. That's B and R. I is imagine. I, I just, you know, it's the beginning of the term. You've got this season on the nations. And part of it is to help you just go, how can we dream? What could it be like to be part of a, a global bride? What, 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 what benefit can we get out of being part of a big family like New Frontiers around the world? What, what can we dream? Imagine a bride that sings like a South African, that serves like a Vietnamese, that has suffered like the Romanian church, that has the youthful energy of the Brazilian church. Um, that's learnt patience like the Chinese church, that's generous like the American church. I had to say something about the Americans, and at least you can say they're a very generous church, right? Einstein said that imagination is more important than intelligence. Because intelligence can be, you know, doing the same thing over and over again within a certain thing. Imagination helps us to think bigger and dream about the world. Uh, D is for deploy. And this is really, could you, as a church, over the next few years, craft a church plant into a completely unreached space in the world? Could you train some people over here in your church life that have a sense of call and, and, and help people learn and grow and get prepared and then send them and be part of their journey to a completely unreached space where they go and they live for years and they raise their families and they work their jobs and they learn a difficult language like Mandarin or Arabic or Turkish, and they serve and they church plant there. And could you as a church be part of that journey? It's expensive, it's slow, it's a, it's a big investment. But if you've got skin in the game, it changes the way you watch the news, right? It changes the way you pray, it changes the way you give. And you as a church could, could be part of something where you start a church in a place where there are no churches, in a city where it's the only church in that city. You could do that over the next few years. What a wonderful investment you could make into getting ready for Jesus to come back, amen? Jesus is there. He's searching for his bride in Afghanistan and in Libya and in Syria. Don't we want to be where Jesus is? And then finally, enjoy. So bride, B-R-I-D-E, enjoy. Enjoy being... Uh, part of the global bride. It's a thrilling thing. I'd encourage you, read books written by people that don't look like you. There's some incredible books coming out of Africa at the moment about Jesus. Like, Google them, find them, read them, right? <laughs> um, I'm enjoying the richness of having friends in my church from all over the world. It's, it's, it's really brilliant. 
I'm enjoying the richness of um, hearing stories from different places and having that stir me to pray for different parts of the world that I may never go to, but I can pray for. And when I get to heaven, I might meet some people and Jesus will introduce me and go, you know, you spent all those years praying for this place. Look, here's some people. That'd be cool, eh? And so I just want to encourage you, really, build, relate, imagine, deploy, and enjoy. I think, and we'll end here and we'll take a moment to pray. But we used to wear those um, little bracelets. Uh, what would Jesus do, right? Uh, it's a good question. I, I like the question, what is Jesus doing? And the answer is Jesus is searching for his bride. And he's standing by wells in places that you wouldn't expect. In Samaria, in Libya, in Mongolia. He's standing by the well in Vietnam looking for his bride. And I'd encourage you, let's, let's try and be where Jesus is. Let's try and be doing what Jesus is doing and engaging in this quest. It's quite a simple thing. Let's have people from all the nations come. Let's have the bride beautiful. And then we can have our wedding that we're waiting for. Shall we stand? And we're going to pray. And perhaps you just lift your hands for a moment. And... Um, We'll just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you sent your son on this quest. Thank you for his passion and his diligence to seek and save the lost. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for finding my friends here. Thank you for our wonderful family around the world. Lord, all our cousins and uncles and all these people we're going to meet one day. Lord, thank you for the richness of what you're doing. Thank you for the strength of it and the beauty of it. Lord, we pray for your bride. We pray for your bride here in High Wycombe. We pray for your bride around the world. Lord, would we be ready on the day of your power? Would we be willing? Would we be beautiful? Would we be washed of our biases and our prejudices would we be healed of our pains and our hurts? Would we be united? Would we be one? Would we be your beautiful people ready for you? Oh, Lord, I pray. Pray for this church over the next few weeks as they go on this journey, on this nation series. I pray that you would do something unalterable, something deep and strong in them. We bless this church in Jesus' name. Lord, make them a a big player in mission. Lord, I pray that there be many from this church that end up going to other parts of the world. Lord, I pray even now for those that have maybe got a job offer or a family need in another part of the world. I pray that they'd see it as mission, see it as your calling. I pray for those who are in the UK at the moment because of work or because of uh, moving around. Lord, I just pray they would see it as mission. Lord, we pray for this town of High Wycombe, the many here from many different nations. Lord, we pray for a fruitful missional engagement yes. with this town. Yes, Lord, we're asking you that this church would be such a rich demonstration of your global, multicultural, beautiful bride. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.